Because whatever motivates us drives us. And whatever drives us is what, listen, it's what moves us. What motivates us moves us. Because to be motivated is to be moved. And the definition behind motivation is um, action or resolve. What, what I'm motivated by inspires the action I take and the resolve I have into what I am doing or not doing. Motivation also so often determines our very behavior. Good day and welcome to Live in the Light. We're thankful that you joined us. You're joining us in the middle of a series in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We've been unpacking the rich truths found in God's word in that chapter and sensing the gospel weightiness over and over again. Well, today's message takes us to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 11. And the title of the message today is Made New and Motivated. But I'm sure, Robbie, that this is not a motivated for selfish interest, right? This is motivated for kingdom interests. Oh, 100%, man. That's the gospel. That's the whole point of what we're talking about right now, that what is our motivation and what what are we motivated by? That's the question we're seeking to answer honestly and then answer biblically. So we do ask you today, hey, if you had to sit down right now, what would you say is your greatest motivation? Well, if you're truly saved in Jesus Christ, man, the answer is coming right at you as what it should be. And the Lord's going to speak loud and clearly, we pray, with both conviction and tremendous encouragement, made new and motivated. Just think, they think the moment you and I are transformed to new creatures in Jesus Christ, everything changes. The darkness has become light, death has become life, and our motivations have gone from temporal to eternal. So stay tuned, stay tuned, and get ready to be challenged on that which matters most here on Living the Light. We love you, listeners. We love you. We love you. Bless you today. All right, let's go right to it. it. The title of today's message, again, is Made New and Motivated. So let's go to Pastor Robbie in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 with today's teaching. I strongly encourage you to find a Bible and turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And uh, our sermon title today is this. It's um, Made New and Motivated. Made New and Motivated. And uh, what that does, it leads us to a very important question. The question, the obvious question should be this. um, What motivates you? What does motivate you? What what motivates me? What, What motivates us? In fact, if you wanted to, you could... You could, you could ask that question to people who know you really well and just, that, that takes humility because the answers coming back may not only be what you want to hear, but if you're really interested to find out where your heart's at, you could ask a spouse, a really good friend, uh, you know, someone who knows you and just say, hey, man, what would you say motivates me the most? And those are very, very telling questions and answers because it tells us where we go, why we go, who we go, how we go. It really reveals, again, where our hearts are at. I ask you right now, between you and the Lord, uh, what motivates you? What motivates you, Robbie? Uh, What motivates us? Because whatever motivates us drives us. And whatever drives us is what, listen, it's what moves us. What motivates us moves 
us because to be motivated is to be moved. And the definition behind motivation is um, action or resolve. What, what I'm motivated by inspires the action I take and the resolve I have into what I am doing or not doing. Motivation also so often determines our very behavior. You, you, you look at a behavior, you dial it back, and you find the source of that behavior, and it's the motivation, the inspiration that someone has for the reasons they decided to act out in that way. Here are some, a few examples. When you are motivated by hunger, uh, you move to the fridge. True? You're motivated by hunger, and it causes you to move towards the fridge. When you're motivated by pleasure, you move, we move towards uh, self-fulfillment. We, we find a way to fulfill the desires that we deem as pleasure. When we are motivated by achievement, that moves us to a hard work. Conversely, motivated by laziness, that leads you to not very much, right? When we are uh, motivated uh, by greed, we move to, tell me, money. We move towards money. And, and be very careful because if this is your motivation, this is your apparatus, it's not going to end well. You cannot serve both God and money. But listen, learn, learn, listen, learn, learn. What's your motivation? If your motivation is apart from the Lord, you're going to end up in the grave. But when your motivation is the Lord Jesus Christ himself, listen, there is no grave. And we've learned that in 2 Corinthians 5. In fact, death becomes the entranceway into life. When we are motivated by the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, that's the point of this chapter, we move towards him. We live in him. And this is one of the realities, ready? One of the realities of being made new. If we are truly made new, our motivations should be turned upside down. And just think who wrote 2 Corinthians. Paul did. And just think of Paul's testimony, his motivations before Christ, his motivation on the road to Damascus was to kill Christians and stamp out the name of Jesus Christ. He is confronted with the gospel. He becomes a new creation. His scales are lifted. His eye can see. He is regenerated. He becomes alive. He is no longer dead. And tell me, does motivation change? Ah, uh, Yes. His motivations went from killing Christians to birthing Christians. His motivation went from stamping out Jesus' name to giving his whole life for the exaltation of the name of Jesus Christ. If we are truly made new, our motivations will be turned upside down. Icons, new body made new, new vision made new. Where's the heart? Listen, a new passion. If we're saved in Jesus Christ, we get a new passion. We have a new motivation. And that's what Paul's saying again within the text right now. So the question becomes again, hey, 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 what motivates you? What motivates you? If you're made new, then your answers should line up with Paul's. Let's find out. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 11. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what we are is known to God. And I hope it is known also to your conscience. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. I'd circle heart. I'd circle outward appearance. Verse 13. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. And if we are in our right mind, it is for you. This is so great. You want to talk about motivation? For the love of Christ controls us. 
because we have concluded this, that one has died for all. Therefore, all have died. And he died for all. Listen to this. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves. What are you motivated by? What motivates you? What motivates me? What motivates us? It's, it's clear right here. We're made new. No longer live for ourselves, but for him. But for him. You want to say that? But for him. For him. For Jesus Christ, who for their sake died and was raised. Made new and motivated. Here we go. Here we go. From this text, what motivates Paul? Motivation number one is this. He is motivated by the fear of the Lord. If we are truly made new, we are motivated in the fear of the Lord. Again, look at verse 11. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. Let's stop right there for a second. Now, for us to come to verse 11 just means that we just left verse 10. Fair? True? And verse 10, if we remember from previous time together, verse 10 speaks of impending judgment for believers. Uh, verse 10 is a very serious verse outlining that at the end of our day, we will stand before God in some form, the judgment seat of Christ, and we'll have to give an account of what we did with what was entrusted to us. And will our good works, will they end up being hay and straw that are burned in the fire? Or will our good works end up being like gold, silver, and precious stones that make it through the fire? Now listen, listen, this is not a judgment of salvation. Our good works don't save us. This is the whole point. God has loved us so much. Now, because he loved us so much, we take his love and we move in his love and we are motivated to serve him with our lives, with what he's given to us. And we find out what we did with what he entrusted. Not salvation, but it is very, very important. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. So, so right here, the wise person, okay? The wise person separates right here in verse 11, eternal motivations from temporal motivations. I can't tell you how many times a day as I walk through my life, I'm like, what's eternal, what's temporal? What's eternal, what's temporal? What's gonna last, what's not? That's not lasting, Robbie, that's temporal. Don't focus on that, don't live for that. That is dumb. Children, that's a lie. Children, that is dumb. Children, that is false. Robbie, that is false. That is temporal. What is eternal? Live for eternal, love eternal, pray eternal, worship the Christ who gives the eternal. Every time, all throughout the day, this conversation in my head all the time. What's eternal? What's temporal? Why? It's called wisdom. Wisdom is constantly discerning what counts, what doesn't, what lasts, what dies. Are we wise? Paul wants us to be wise. The Lord wants us to be wise. And this is why then he says in verse 11, he says, therefore, therefore, because of the truth of verse 10, because of impending judgment, for believers, because we have to give an account, therefore, watch this, it must result in a fear of the Lord. If we understand the reality of what's going to happen with our lives, then this must result in a fear of the Lord. Now, do you see the word knowing in verse 11? The word knowing in verse 11, this isn't just I'm gaining information. Okay, so I have some information and I understand there's going to be something that happens when I'm done. I stand before Christ. No, no, no. This uh, in the Greek here really means I'm appreciating. So knowing the fear of the Lord, appreciating the fear of the Lord. What does the text say in verse 11? It says, um, we persuade others. So knowing that judgment's coming, give an account for our lives before the Lord, 
It brings to us a fear of the Lord, not a fear of man, and not supposed to, a fear of the Lord. We appreciate the fear of the Lord, and then it gives us a resolve. It motivates us to seek to persuade others with our lives, with the one life that we actually have to live. Notice within this chapter, to be made new is to see differently, and to see differently then, if we really see differently. So here's what happens is, new body, the hope of glory, new vision, light bulb. When you have new vision, you got a new passion, you got a new motivation, you got a new heart. Right, so if we truly see differently, then we want to live differently. What happens? Um, our value system changes. We're not motivated. We're not supposed to be motivated now by the fear of man. We're supposed to be motivated by the fear of the Lord. Now, when Paul says knowing the fear of the Lord, the fear of the Lord here is not Paul having some terrible fright of God. This isn't Paul being afraid of God. This is Paul having reverential awe of God, knowing God's glory, knowing God's justice, knowing God's holiness, knowing God's omnipotence and omniscience. And he will make all things right, knowing that God will do what he says he will do. There's a, a fear, there's a, there's a, there, there's a reverence, there's, a, there's an awe, there's a seriousness of worship that overcomes Paul, and he, and he says, and, and I expect all of us to appreciate the fear of the Lord here based on what we know to be true. Paul says, I have to give an account of my life, so I'm filled with a fear of the Lord. Notice for Paul, this sobers him, this fuels him, this motivates him. Notice, the fear of the Lord makes Paul a smart man. Are we smart? Because if we're smart, we will also appreciate the fear of the Lord. No wonder then Proverbs 9 verse 10 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Say it again. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Why, 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 why? Because, because the fear of the Lord is what brings clarity to life. The fear of the Lord causes us to know why are we here? But listen, think, think. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, okay? I love doing this in scripture. Just ask the other question. If the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, then you remove the fear of the Lord and what do you got? An absence of wisdom. You have foolishness. You have dumb people. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Without the fear of the Lord, you remove clarity, you remove wisdom, you remove purpose. To remove the fear of the Lord, ready? You remove the fear of the Lord and you remove true and pure worship. This is why John Murray, he said this, I always love this quote, he said this, the highest reaches of saying, big word for growing more like Christ, the highest reaches of sanctification are only realized in the fear of the Lord. Leave that up for a second. Think about this, okay? It wasn't long ago I walked into a building. I was trying to get to the eighth floor. I walked into an elevator. I quickly found out it only went to the fourth floor. As long as I was in that elevator, I wasn't getting any. My ceiling was the fourth floor. I needed to get to the eighth. If I stayed in the elevator, I will only go to level four. I can't get any higher. 
I had to get out of the elevator. I had to access the elevator, went up to the eighth floor in order to get to the desired goal. If you remove the fear of the Lord, there's a ceiling on your spiritual development and growth you will never, you will never overcome. You will never get beyond. Think of the churches that lack the fear of the Lord. They have a ceiling upon their ministry that will not go above that. You cannot grow more like Christ, the fullness of what we are, without the fear of the Lord in our lives where he gets the glory, he is honored, he is worshiped. We are not, we are small, we are less. He is honored. He is revered. He is the one who deserves all our affection, all our lives. But if you remove the fear of the Lord, you've just limited the growth that can occur as you're, in your life as a husband, as a wife, as a family member, as a child of God. The highest, the highest level of sanctification will only be realized in the fear of the Lord. What's so great here again? What's our motivation? What's our motivation? Notice In verse 11, it's the fear of the Lord that seeks to persuade others. But a lack of the fear of the Lord then is when we don't persuade others, ready? We please others. We're afraid of man as opposed to the fear of God. And so when we please others, then we're in big trouble. And there's a massive difference between pleasing God and seeking to please man. One is bolstered by the fear of God. One is bolstered by the fear of man. So what Paul does in the rest of verse 11, and I can read it for you there, he says, but what we are is known to God, and I hope it is um, known also to your conscience. So he's saying here, he's saying this, okay, he goes, he goes, I'm living the fear of God, God knows this is true, and I'm praying, and I hope you know also, Corinthian church, that you know it's true as well. In other words, God knows my motives, and I have a clear conscience And I live powerfully in my integrity in this way. And I'm praying you also understand. So right here, we can can gather from verse 11 here. We can see this, that we can seek, listen carefully, we can seek to please God and then persuade men to the gospel. Or we can seek to please man and persuade God. I'm gonna put that quote on the screen here. I want you to look at this. I want you to think about this, okay? So we can seek to please God and then we will persuade men to the gospel regardless of the cost because it's all about the Lord. It's about revering him or, and here's the great temptation of our day. It's always been, especially now, this is the church. It says, or you will seek to please man. And once you please man, what you do is you go back to God and you say, God, did you really mean to say this? Or can I change this part? Can I rip this page out? Can I change this doctrine? Can I soften the blow? God, God, I want to, I want, I want, I want to correct you what you said because I really want to please man. And then we start to live these lives of decreasing power and of and of spiritual ineffectiveness. But listen, pleasing God comes at a cost. But that's when the power comes. You please man, it's easy, it's easy. But then you lose the fruitfulness and the power from your life. What's the difference in this? The difference is the fear of the Lord. Question. Are we motivated by the fear of man? Are we motivated by the fear of God? Tell me, tell me, why are so many churches taking the edge off certain doctrines? Why are so many churches telling more stories than scripture? Why are so many churches, organizations, Christian organizations, trying to be liked by the public? Why are church leaders capitulating the culture? Why is the gospel message consistently being softened? The answer to all these questions is because the motivation is the fear of man, not the fear of God. His word is very clear. 
He has stated it before us. We know what he has said. The fear of the Lord says, I trust God, not man. I don't care if culture changes. I'm going with God. Every time a preacher stands up, he must make the decision. Am I doing this for the Lord or am I doing this for other people? Am I doing this to be liked or am I doing this to honor the Lord? Do I understand that the day is coming? I have to stand before God and he was giving me his book and I will have to give an account to how I handled the word, the word that was true. And how many men, how many different people stand before the Lord and they started closing the book because of the fear of men and wanting to be liked and capitulating to the culture around them. That scares me to death. And the difference is the fear of the men versus fear of the Lord. Of course, this is why Paul says in Galatians 1 verse 10, he says, for am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? And, and that, that's the difference. Am I motivated by man or am I motivated by God? Or am I trying to please man? I was still trying to please man. I would not be a servant of Christ. According to this verse, the Operating in the fear of man causes us to be so weakened in our very status of servants of, of Christ. Just want you to think about that. Again, what motivates us? We're to be motivated in the fear. If we're made new, we're, we're to be motivated in the fear, fear of the Lord. Some of us have straight, God calls us back. The grace calls us back. The grace, come, I shall come back to where you're supposed to be. And he does, he forgives and he loves and he surrounds and he, and he, and he restores. And he says, come back to the motivation that first saved you and now can lead you because glory is coming soon. Here's the second thing that Paul's motivated by. It's this, he's motivated within opposition. He's motivated within opposition. Now think about it. Isn't it true in life? that strong opposition can often result in a tremendous motivation. When we're strongly opposed, it can often result in a tremendous uh, resolve and motivation to press on. Why, why, why? Well, because opposition in our lives, it, um, it brings focus. It brings clarity. It brings intensity. It brings, it brings resolve. Just, just, just think, um, soldiers are never more ready and alert than when the enemy has drawn near. When the enemy's all far away, they, they rest, they're joking, playing cards, they're relaxing, they're getting, but the enemy draws near, man. No one's, no one's joking around anymore. And they are alert, they are ready, hands on guns. They are, they are totally ready and, and, and they're, they're alert for the battle. It's the opposition that brings the motivation, that brings the clarity, that brings the perspective. Spiritually speaking, the persecuted church is, are, is so highly motivated because they see everything in front of them, what's at stake, what the cost is, who they're living for, why they're doing this. They're not fooling around. They're not bothering with earthly trinkets and trying to build up an earthly kingdom. They see the gospel so clearly. They know it's in front. The opposition increases their motivation. This is what's happening with Paul. In the church in Corinth, the Judaizers mainly, the opponents of Paul and the Christian faith, they were attacking him on every single angle. Any way they could try to undermine his ministry, they were trying to do. Now that can be very, very discouraging. Can you imagine you're Paul and you're going around and everything he does, they're trying to, trying to slant it, get an angle to take what he said and then twist it and then to give him, uh, uh, to ruin his integrity, his credibility and his purity. 
That could be very discouraging. Fair, that'd be very discouraging. But what Paul does here, he takes this opposition and he uses it towards encouragement. That's what the Lord does and wants to do within our lives. Look at verse 12 now. Verse 12, it says, we are not commending ourselves to you, Paul, says Paul, again, but giving you cause to boast about us so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in okay, the heart. Now, the very fact that Paul begins verse 12 with, uh, we are not commending ourselves, that leads us to believe that he was accused of doing that very thing. His opponents were constantly accusing him that he's commending himself. And we see that in other places in this letter as well. Again, his opponents after his integrity and his motives. What Paul does, he says, with a clear conscience before God, I want to empower you, church, to defend me. God knows who I am. God knows what I've done. Verse 11 and verse 12. Okay? He knows where I am. I empower you, church, to defend me. Within the opposition, it brings a clarity to Paul's life to say, my conscience is clean. My motives are pure. I have nothing to hide. The opposition to Paul's life. I want you to know this too. Paul's like, hey, you got my back, church? You got my back? You got my back? The opposition enhances the unity within the Corinthian church. The opposition is making it very clear who's with us, who's not with us, all on board. Let's join together to be strengthened in the pursuit of Jesus Christ for the gospel. You can boast about us because you know I'm legit in my motivations before God. I'm always amazed at that when the attack comes on the church and the people are really there, man. Like, I've seen this in subtle ways and significant ways throughout the history of our church, man. When things start to get hard, I have, I have watched, like I have often personally, and maybe you, I've never felt more supported, strengthened, uh, warm-hearted as I see men and women of this church coming together uh, around me and around each other to say, hey, you're not alone. You're not alone. And tears run down my cheeks as you understand we're not alone. We have each other. So many of you would go to bat time after time after time for the cause of Christ in this place. That, that's, that's super a blessing to me. That's unbelievably a blessing to me. There's hundreds of you that would do that. And we're praying for hundreds more because when the opposition comes, we find out where we stand. And the unity that's found, the awesome sense of God's power through the gospel, you find out who's really with you. That's what's, so, so listen, opposition can increase our motivation that we're made new. What do we live for? We're living for the Lord Jesus Christ. And then don't miss in verse 12 as well. It says that his enemies... We're all about the outward appearance. See that in verse 12? Outward appearance. And so what Paul does, he takes the foolish aim of his enemies. They were all about the externals. And what he does, he reinforces that which is best, which is the heart. So he says, okay, so my opponents, they're going to be trying to attack me on the external things that they're so far about. I'm going to, I'm going to take that, turn it against them and say, but we're really about the things that matter. We're really about the heart. We're about true motivations. We're about true passions. We're about the gospel within our lives. Again, we are filled with wisdom. Ready, ready? When we allow opposition to only sharpen our spiritual vision. So two things, two things can happen when opposition comes. We can stoop to their level and try to fight along with their tactics, or we can rise above and look to Christ. George Whitfield's one of my spiritual heroes. I, I was so blessed. I read his, first volume of his biography again a few months ago. And I was struck again. Whenever he was attacked, and he got attacked a lot, he was, he was one of those powerful preachers 
ever, okay, ever, ever. It's amazing. And whenever he was attacked by people, the first thing he would do, stop and pray for the person attacking him. It seems so basic biblically, but like, how often do you do that? How often do I do that? Is your first response when people attack you in the midst of opposition to stop and pray for them genuinely? Or are you like, how dare they? And I'm gonna get them and I'm gonna show them and I'm gonna blame them. Anyone else? Anyone else? Anyone else? Anyone else? I appreciate the honesty in this group right here. All right, all right. And I'm with them too, man. Like, I mean, my flesh says, oh yeah. But then Whitfield's like, okay, I can, I can stoop through the level and sin or I can rise above. And you know what? I read that book. I tried that. I tried that. Like when attacked to stop and pray, it worked. Like it was amazing. Like, like the love and then like the, the impact and that just like, anyways, just, it's a great thing. The opposition can motivate us to actually become more like Christ as opposed to becoming less. In verse 13, look at verse 13. He says here, for if we are, here's more attacks, I'll explain why. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. So this verse tells us that Paul's opponents were accusing him of being mad, being crazy, or being insane, being out of his mind for Jesus Christ. Well, a convicting message today for sure. We encourage you to be praying that God would help you as you choose to pursue him daily in your personal study and in prayer. Need some extra encouragement? Well, we have our previous messages and series available for you to listen online at liveinthelight.ca. That's all for today, listeners. Join us again next time here on Live in the Light. 